Thanks for being here for another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast, where we share the stories of the Strong Towns movement in action. How many of you listening have moved at some point during the pandemic, aka the last two years? I am one of those people, and if the stats are to be believed, so are millions of others. Moving during the pandemic was difficult for many reasons, navigating virtual home showings, signing papers remotely, trying to figure out moving logistics, and it's not like it was an easy, relaxing process before the pandemic either. Yet many of us have done it, whether we're hoping to be closer to family, realizing we have different space needs now that we're home more often, or relocating for a new job opportunity. Unfortunately, once we've gotten to our new spots, the pandemic has also made meeting our neighbors and getting involved in our neighborhoods really challenging too. You can't just walk over with a freshly baked pie or stroll into the upcoming neighborhood association meeting because maybe your neighbor isn't comfortable with a stranger in your house right now, or maybe the neighborhood association hasn't actually been meeting for months. Grayson Johnson, my good friend and a founding member of Strong Towns, recently had that experience of moving mid-pandemic to Ottawa in Canada. Yet she has found small but powerful ways to get to know her neighbors and to be a positive part of her neighborhood. Having a dog to walk regularly definitely helps. So does observing what's going on around her and finding ways to plug into that rather than showing up with her own agenda. If you've heard of our four-step process for public investment at Strong Towns, I'll throw a link to the show notes uh, to that. This is exactly what Grayson's talking about. She's lived in rural and urban areas, but she says she's not a city person or a small town person. Rather, she's a neighborhood person. You'll hear a lot from her about how to connect to your neighbors and, as she says, give more than you take with those around you. Near the end of the interview, we also have an interesting conversation about top-down versus bottom-up advocacy in action, because the reason Grayson moved to Toronto was to work for a quasi-federal government housing agency. Certainly a valuable and interesting discussion, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Grayson Johnson, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It's good to talk with you. Nice to talk to you again, Rachel. So you are a person that a lot of people at Strong Towns have probably um, heard of, probably read your stuff, maybe even heard you on a previous podcast. But for those who haven't yet, can you tell us a little bit about your background and why you care about issues like planning and housing and all the things that we work at on at Strong Towns? Sure. Yeah, I am super old school. So I'm actually really impressed if people have heard of me that are listening to this because it's been a while. My background is growing up in the suburbs in London, Ontario, um, a city that has launched many, many angry urbanists, uh, just like not not just bikes guy, uh, Jason. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's there's many of us. So I grew up in London, and um, my family are farmers. And so I had kind of a split upbringing of spending weekends on the farm. But you know, truly growing up in the suburbs. And I really didn't like it. My neighborhood was fine, but I think had a lot of the same hesitations that, you know, people that (laughs) are involved with strong towns do. I started getting into city planning, did my my master's degree in planning. A lot of it was driven by climate change and, and also just wanting to live in places like I was able to visit. Like I, I did a, 
a French immersion program in Quebec City when I was younger. And I got to experience like a proper city on my own and could take the bus and go like walk around and sit places, you know, like very, very modest things that were a huge deal to me. That really inspired me to get into cities like so many do. When I was in grad school, a friend, Emily Glavy, if she listens to this, um, who's in New Hampshire now, she told me that I should listen to Straw Towns because Chuck was talking about these same things that annoyed me when I was ranting to her all the time. So I did, and then I have just found it kind of like my my kin here at Strong Towns. Yeah, if you can think back a little, what are some of the projects that you've been involved with at Strong Towns over the last many years? Well, originally I was just writing. I, at the time, had moved to New Brunswick, which is a province on the east coast of Canada, and it's a small place. And I was just kind of writing about the experience of going from a big city environment, uh, I was living in Toronto before my master's, to moving to a smaller city, which I really loved dearly and I still love dearly. Just writing about that was something that aligned a lot with what Strong Towns was talking about. So I had kind of a, a weekly column there called Field Notes, and I was just kind of sharing that experience. And then as I did that, like I I was sharing a lot of what I was doing through video. And that was a tool that I think that Strong Towns needed at the time. And so Chuck had asked me to help with some of the video production, the early video production. I honestly, I I cringe looking back at it because I do not have the technical skills to do a very good job of it. I look back on it and I'm like, this is still so solid and good. Oh, that's so nice of you to say. (laughs) That's really nice. (laughs) Yeah, but I I was involved in the earlier video production and, and that initial project was Um, a challenge. It was taking the hour-long curbside chat and trying to put it into little snippets. And so those ended up being like five minutes a piece or something like that. And uh, that was a project. um, I feel like there are so many things that I had been a part of with Strong Towns, just like I felt like I was constantly in conversation with what was going on at Strong Towns between like, I don't know, it was probably 2015, 2016, um, around the time, or sorry, 2014, 2015. And um, I just kind of felt like one of the club at the time. (laughs) So I don't even really remember all the projects that just felt like uh, you guys were kind of my family. I remember we first met at the National Gathering in Minneapolis in, what was that, 2014, I think. And I was like, definitely fangirling about meeting you because I'd read all your stuff. That's really sweet. I remember going out to coffee with you, and that was so fun. So in addition to your your Strong Towns um, background, let's also hear about a little bit more about where you live now. What is your community, your neighborhood like, since I know that's so important to who you are, um, is you know where you live. For sure. So I'm a recent transplant to Ottawa, Ontario. Um, Ottawa is Canada's capital, and uh, it's very cold right now. Uh, it's probably like Minnesota cold. Really lovely city. Uh, It's very bilingual, um, French and English. It's um, a government town, obviously. So it's got, uh, I I think, a lot of stability. There's the, (laughs) I guess, the happy consequence. Like, you know, a lot of people have decent jobs. And so like, there's a lot of happy and healthy and active and fit people here because they have the, the privilege of being able to do that. Um, I always joke that the entire country pays for the city to have beautiful trails because it's like a tourist spot. And so, um, you know, I definitely appreciate that we have really nice, um, like natural infrastructure here. Um, my neighborhood is like every neighborhood I've ever lived in of my own uh, volition. It's kind of like a, 
a mix. It's mixed income, um, definitely like formerly very much like a worker's neighborhood um, has the historical homes here have been self-built um, lots and lots and lots and lots of mixed use and multi-unit homes. Yeah. Like the missing middle is not missing at all in this neighborhood. Uh, it's great. Very walkable. It's almost too convenient uh, to the point where like, yeah, there's like too much good stuff around me. <laughs> too many good bakeries. It has become a bit of a problem. You know, are you a city person or are you a small town person? Or can you really be happy living in both, having had that experience in both? I think I'm just a neighborhood person. Because even when I was living in Toronto, I spent 98% of my time in my neighborhood. Like I wasn't going to, it's not like I was like going to the CN Tower, right? Like I'm not, I was just, I was running with my run crew and hanging out in the neighborhood and walking my dog. And I did cover a lot of ground. Um, definitely covered a lot of ground, especially like I, I am a runner. And so um, I got to see a lot of neighborhoods, but almost all of my time was just spent in probably a smaller geography than I was exploring in Fredericton on a regular basis. So um, I think that the geography is what matters there. And it's like having that tight geography be a place where you feel like you can have strong relationships and you can be active and um, you can make some kind of contribution all of that feels important to me. And I feel like I could be happy on the farm as well. You know, I feel like that's, that's also part of me is just like knowing that small piece of land is really what's important rather than the, the greater context that it's in. There's certain things that are much easier with a big city, like the transportation connections, um, knowing that if you need to, to get somewhere, you have a train station and, you know, it provides a, a larger market for things like car share, um, for transit, if you're really, really into food and like fancy food, um, you know, a bigger city provides that. But I can't say that the parts that I enjoyed about Toronto or the parts that I enjoy about Ottawa are like, I could be equally happy anywhere as long as I've got my people. Did you move um, to your current neighborhood like in the last year, couple years? Like, I did. I was a recent. move. Yeah, I moved to Ottawa in the dead of the third wave. Like it was, it was not a convenient time to move. I had to pick my first apartment here via FaceTime video and um, it ended up being not a great situation. So I'm in my second apartment in, uh, in the city um, and every, you know, everything's fine, but yeah, like it has been an adventure moving during the, the, the pandemic. Yeah. What do you ask? Well, it seems like um, from, you know, little snippets I hear about your life and like I follow you on Instagram and stuff, I know that you're a person who's who's very connected to your neighborhood. And it seems like you've been able to do that even during the pandemic. Like what are some of those little things that you do when you move into a new place to like start to get to know your neighbors and your neighborhood? Yeah, I've, I've tried. I've really definitely tried. Um, you're right. Especially living alone. This is my first time living alone. So I, I put a ton of energy into doing that kind of thing. The main way right now for me, um, because of the pandemic and the limitations of what's open, um, particularly, I don't know where everyone's listening from, but I'm in a jurisdiction that has um, experienced quite a lot of shutdowns and uh, is currently shut down. So running groups are now where I tend to meet the most people. And that that's like a really interesting, you just get a lot of really diverse people that come to 
a workout group and, um, and you know, it kind of spreads. I walk a ton with my dog. I cover a lot of ground with her and that's kind of like the slow absorption of what's going on in the city. I've tried to follow more local news online. I've joined my neighborhood association and that's just kind of gearing up right now. So I I haven't really got much to report on, on that yet. I I just like (laughs) talk to people. Like I'm, I'm a very, very chatty neighbor. So, um, I try, you know, I do what I can to meet my neighbors, have drinks with my neighbors, you know, delivered Christmas cookies to my neighbors, you know, inspired by Ted Lasso and and by Chuck Marone. (laughs) Uh, and yeah, you just, it really does help having a dog, I have to say, because people feel like they can talk to you. And that is something that um, really warms my heart. I'm so glad that people feel like they can approach me, people who are men and women and any age and, you know, anything, they feel like they can come and talk to me because I've got this adorable dog attached to me. Um, so I'm really grateful for that. And I would say that that's probably how that all goes. And um, I've learned over time that the way that I want to approach this when I move to a new place is just to kind of observe what is already going on and who's working on what and try to figure out where I can contribute to that. Um, So I I haven't come into this city or this neighborhood with any sort of plans of my own yet. It's just, it's just kind of observing, enjoying and trying to meet people that I think um, I can be helpful to at some point. Yeah. That's wonderful. I want to get to your your current role soon, but first, previously you were really involved in the Incremental Development Alliance, which a lot of people will have heard of. What drew you to that work? Why are you passionate about small-scale development? Yeah, well, I think it was actually at the National Gathering, the Strong Towns National Gathering, that I met Monty Anderson, and he was presenting about his work. And that uh, was sort of the nucleus, I think, of of the Incremental Development Alliance launching. Monty and John and Jim and, and David, they were all kind of like working on this space, or I, sh- I should say, you know, they were doing this kind of full time and, and there needed to be a way that you could share the learnings. And and so that's where, where I came in um, at the very beginning to help kind of structure what it is that Monty was learning as he went, you know, through his life and, and turning that into teachable moments for other people or, or how can we, how can we help other people learn from this is really what that came down to. And so, yeah, from the beginning, I've just kind of been making curriculum and designing programs and filling in everywhere, you know, filling in whether it's building a website or making the video or, you know, building our CRM system, (laughs) kind of like the, I don't know, just a, um, Jim used to joke that I was a Swiss army knife. So, um, like I did a lot of things and <laughs> did a lot of things. But the, the passion that I have and where I felt like I was able to learn the most, I, I would say myself, is in trying to put myself in the shoes of, of students or people that are trying to do something good for their neighborhood and they don't know what the next step is. And, and I've been in that position. I'm always, I'm still in that position. <laughs> and, and so I can take what I've seen working in all of these different places and um, put it in in something that feels doable. Yeah. What was it like to work in this arena of like incremental development, commercial housing, all of it? Like, do you have a a personal interest in doing that in your own life too? Or are you um, just like really glad to be supporting those sorts of efforts? Absolutely. I would like to be doing it in my own life. And and the thing that has been stopping me is I've, I've unfortunately had to move a lot more than I would like to. 
I'm right now currently following the advice that Monty would have, which is, you know, you, you pick a place and you stay there and you focus on being a good neighbor first and understanding what the place needs and, and all of that. So, you know, that is the step that I'm in right now is trying to absorb what my neighborhood needs and how I can be a contributor to it um, and how I can, you know, create something that gives more than it takes. And so, yeah, like that's, I'm, I'm totally interested in it. I love, love, love small scale commercial real estate. I love a lot of different kinds of buildings, but you know, my, my dream would be to have like a, a sweet little storefront somewhere and I can stick my dog. And, um, you know, it would just be, that would be great, but who knows, you know, there's all kinds of things that are a possibility and it really comes down to what the neighborhood needs. And, and so, yeah, that, that's the step that I'm in. Yeah. So I know that your, your recent move was partly at least related to this new job that you have senior specialist in innovation and research at the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. What does that job entail? And especially for non-Canadians, um, what is the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation? How does it function? Yeah. Um, so CMHC is, there's not really a direct um, U.S. comparison, but I would think of it almost like if you combined HUD plus the FHA plus like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Ah, um, uh, okay. It's kind of this combination of um, insurer plus uh, we're a crown corporation, which is sort of an arm's length organ um, part of the government, and we also administer in a way um, the housing programs at the federal level, and so it, it's it's got a lot of things. going. It's a big shop. Like there's a lot going on at CMHC and I'm still learning everything that's happening there. Uh, learning about the history of it. It's, it's been a huge and a steep learning curve that I've really enjoyed. Yeah. And, and my role is within our innovation division, that group, really what we're doing is we're kind of scanning what's going on everywhere in the private market, in the nonprofit market within government itself, and trying to understand where there could be synergies, I guess, like where where could there be something greater than the sum of its parts by convening people, bringing them together, showing them how they could be aligned, um, how they might be filling each other's needs, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, it's it's very much almost like a, a matchmaker role in a way where you're just trying to keep your eye out for like, how could we be doing better with all the things that are already going on? So as you know, being part of Strong Towns for so long, we talk a lot about bottom-up grassroots efforts. Um, you know, this podcast is called Bottom-Up Revolution. And you have this background in, you know, small-scale neighborhood incremental development around housing. But then now you're working for the federal government or a federal, <laughs> you know, a federally aligned um, organization. Like, what is that like to switch from the local to more of the national and, like, is there a tension there between bottom-up and national work, or do you see them working really well together in your experience? That's such a great question. And um, that's actually, you know, why I was drawn to this role is wanting to see how those two things can fit together. Because for me, I think everything, you know, like I, I think the world moves at the local level. Um, I see the, the kind of people that I would meet through INCTA, of, um, I would call them forces of nature. Like, and they're the kind of people that just like make it happen and they create a different culture and they create like a different wheel of momentum. And, and as I'm saying this, I really like you, you, all of you listening can probably think of somebody in your community that has that sort of magic around them. 
um, whether that's in the housing field or in some kind of field where like your community would just be a completely different place without them in a way. And so I have so much respect for that. I have so much respect for things that are happening at a grassroots level that a lot of people overlook or, or they don't think is important. I also kind of love the chaos. Like I love and respect how some things just can't happen in a clean way. <laughs> like the only way it's going to happen is going to be really messy because it's really relationship bound. I wanted to bring that. I wanted to see how that fits in to policy and how that fits into, I mean, we don't make policy where I am, but like how that fits into this bigger system of, we have resources at a federal level, we have um, plans and programs at a federal level. And to me, I'm just super interested in how those things can plug in together, um, if they do and how, and if they can better. That's great. Yeah. Like, are you learning the things you're hoping to learn yet? Um, seeing those connections being made? I wouldn't say I'm learning that yet, but that's I, I, the that's the part I I have experience in, and so I'm kind of trying to bring that to what I'm working on. And the things that I'm learning are just how the machine works at this point. It's going to be so there's so much work for me to do, just like understanding what it is that I'm even dealing with <laughs> at the federal level, at the provincial level. Um, yeah, so you know, I've been reading a lot of history, trying to understand how we got here. What are the different um, political movements and ideologies over the decades that have resulted in the system that we have now? Like all of that stuff is really important to understanding. Again, like the messiness is where it happens. And there's also tons and tons of messiness that's within big organizations, you know, private or public. And so I'm understanding that level of messiness now. <laughs> and then at some point, I will hopefully be able to create like a big messy sandwich <laughs> of all of the, the, you know, how the real stuff happens. Yeah. Uh, just understanding all those levels of bureaucracy and history is really, really important. So that makes sense that you would be spending a fair amount of time on that. Thinking back on, you know, some of the projects that you've worked on for Strong Towns and incremental development, I see this thread in your life that is, you know, very much like interdisciplinary. There's like this artistic side, film and writing. Are you able to bring that into your new role? It's actually like my heart is actually breaking as you say that. <laughs> I'm actually feeling my heart break right now. No, not yet. And I'm saying not yet because there will, you know, I'll find a way. Um, and like in some ways, I always volunteer the second someone's like, we need to diagram this. And I'll be like, pick me, I will diagram it. And like, give me an excuse to draw something. Um, so I, I do try to find opportunities to do that. I've had the opportunity to do those things in the past because I was kind of like part of either a one woman shop or like part of a, some sort of scrappy organization. And now I'm I'm part of a system that has like an entire division <laughs> that can do professional level stuff um, with like professional microphones and you know has like a you know a brand kit and all that. So I don't I don't know what that will look like. I, I mean I have stuff on the side that I do. Um, you know I was over the Christmas holidays I was working on a project um, that I call Step Buildings and that was you know a huge recharge for me of being able to draw things and use all of the you know, the creative stuff that I enjoy. It's still missing. It's still missing other people. I, like when you're saying like thinking back over projects, I was just like, 
having almost a montage flip through my head of all the things that I've loved. And like every picture that popped in my head was just other people that I love that I've worked with. And um, the projects that I've worked on, like with neighbors on the ground, um, that's what I'm really, really missing and looking forward to. And, and I think that's partly just being in a new community, but also massively COVID related. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've all been very isolated. This is reminding me of your project from several years ago. Um, places, well, it started as places I don't want to sit. And then you yeah. created some awesome, like impromptu seating in public spaces. Yeah. I'll definitely share a link to that for people who are curious, but that sort of project, I hope that you have more opportunities to do more of, because it seems like that's a part of, you know, kind of your approach to neighborhood involvement and like building strong towns, frankly, is like that almost like artistic, creative approach to being with your neighbors. And I love that. For sure. For sure. Yeah, I was actually, you know, I'm, I'm thinking now I was able to do one project in Ottawa already, where I was connected to a friend who, uh, well, she became a friend. Um, who was kind of the steward of a community garden. Like she had taken it upon herself to look after this pollinator garden. She's a really wonderful, she's a force of nature. <laughs> she's a wonderful woman. Um, and she wanted a map for it. Um, and so I had, you know, reached out to some kind of community garden group being like, please like, let me help. <laughs> and they said, Hey, this person needs help. And I said, Oh, I can do a scale drawing. So yeah. And we've actually become quite good friends and that was like a way that I got to draw and I got to garden and I got to hang out outside and transplant things and come up with something fun. And so, yeah, I guess I do. I guess I do have one Ottawa project that happened in this small window where things were not shut down here. Yeah, that's lovely. What are you excited about working on um, in this year, you know, as hopefully we start moving out of the pandemic or at least into a more calm phase of the pandemic. Like what potential are you seeing around you and projects you're excited about in work or, you know, in your life outside of work? Yeah. Um, okay. So I'll have, I have one that's, you know, a personal project, which is expanding step buildings. I'm kind of developing like a gameplay for it. And the whole thing is like a teaching tool for, the kind of people that I would meet through InkDev that really wanted to do something and they didn't know what, how to approach it. And so um, that's like a, a physical project that I'm working on that involves, you know, I have to figure out printing and all that stuff. It, it takes up a lot of time and I, I have to do that on evenings and weekends, so it doesn't move very quickly. Um, yeah. But uh, that's one thing. The other thing is I, in my neighborhood association, there's a tree committee, a tree canopy committee. committee and they're working on like we have this interesting situation here where like the city will provide a tree for you for your boulevard, but you as a homeowner need to commit to looking after it. And they've done some research and some surveying so far of their neighbors, and they found that people are surprisingly not willing to have a tree out front. I, I'm sure there's probably many articles on Strong Towns about this, but you know one of the things, one of the best things that you can do for your city at any time is a shade tree, and the impacts, like the positive impacts, are just pretty much endless for trees. Um, and so that I find is a really interesting challenge of how do we, well, one, like just going door to door and talking to neighbors and being like, Hey, like, why or why not? Um, but then also working with that group to see if we can get more trees planted, which is, um, again, like this is super, super simple, basic stuff, but it makes such a huge difference. It's like, there's nothing, I can't think of anything more important than, trees <laughs> like it's just 
um, yeah, so I, I think that will be a fun thing and I won't say fun actually, like I'm sure I will enjoy it, but like it's, it's going to be an interesting challenge and a way that I will be able to meet people and find out who all the, the local forces of nature are. Yeah. Very cool. So I always close out the show by asking um, what advice you would give for someone listening that wants to start getting involved in things in their neighborhood and make it a little bit of a stronger town. What are some of the steps, first steps that you would suggest for people? I mean, if you were doing it my way, which I don't know, I would recommend (laughs) just like overcommit yourself to things and then like don't want to let people down. Um, (laughs) You could look around and just join something that you care about. I mean, that's a simple answer, but this is the thing though, like everybody knows it's just like eating healthy and exercise. You just do it. Like starting is the best way to start. (laughs) So, so you probably know what to do. You just have to kind of start doing it and then pick something, I guess, that's small enough that it's not going to, you know, like you feel like you can kind of walk into it without needing to train for it first. And then as soon as you start going, like the magic happens. So true. Thank you. So where can people find you online if they're interested in following more of your work does step buildings have a website or i have not um i've not really put it online yet okay we'll keep an eye out for that yeah uh you can find me almost nowhere now (laughs) i've like extracted myself from the internet um other than that is legit (laughs) i guess uh instagram um yeah you can follow me on instagram and at grayson if you want i mean i you there's not like it's going to be mostly pictures of me and my dog guys so let's see very cute dog but um you know like don't follow me like care about your own neighborhood (laughs) like you know I guess you can get in touch with me if you want but like the good stuff is right in front of your eyes so um you know there's no need to spend your time on me (laughs) well I'll definitely share some links to all your previous fantastic projects at Strong Towns there's plenty to look at I appreciate that. And I hope I hope that they still connect with people. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Grayson, for taking time to chat here and come on the show and for all that you've done for Strong Towns. Um, you're so important to this movement. It has been a pleasure since day one. Thank you so much for inviting me back. All right. I'm going to remind you again about our local motive event that is kicking off in just a couple weeks now. Um, I mentioned in the intro the four-step process for public investment, and we're actually doing a whole local motive training on that very topic. My colleague John Pattison is going to be our Strongtown speaker, and then we'll be hosting Tiffany Owens, who you remember from a podcast a few months ago, and they're both going to be talking about that four-step process for public investment. That one takes place on March 10th. But the first tour stop for quick zoning code reforms for Strong Town starts on February 3rd. So grab your ticket ASAP, strongtowns.org slash local motive. I'll put the link in the show notes, of course. And uh, we really look forward to seeing a bunch of you for these action-oriented one-hour trainings. Also, important announcement, our seventh annual can't believe that. Seventh annual Strongest Town contest just kicked off this past Monday. Our applications are now open. We would love for you to apply. Uh, Nominate your town. This is not a contest for the most perfect town. 
the most amazing town, the town that has achieved every single strong town's goal because no city has done that. But we're really looking for towns that are working to be better, towns that are on their way to financial resilience, that have those building blocks in place. So you can nominate your town by filling out a couple questions in an application. Head to strongtowns.org slash strongest town to find that application. You've got a few weeks to do that. Um, They're not due until February 20th, Um, but really encourage people to apply. I know that people, especially surprisingly, those who are most invested in strong towns are often the least likely to nominate their community because they're like, there's just such a high bar for what a strong town is. Um, And that's great. But also, please submit your town because we would love to have a great slew of contestants. Um, If you're familiar with the contest, then um, our team will select 16 towns to compete in the initial rounds, and then it'll be a bracket-based contest. So every week there's a new set of items that the towns will submit and share with the world, and then you all can have the chance to vote for which one is the strongest. Uh, and eventually we'll come up with one strongest town by the time we finish the contest in April. So please nominate your community, strongtowns.org slash strongest town. Thank you as always to our Strong Towns members whose support enables this show, enables the contest I just talked about, enables the local motive event. It's all happening because of our members. Thank you to all of you. If you want to become a member and be part of this community, head to strongtowns.org slash membership. All right. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you back here next week for another episode. Take care. Thank you.